This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Uh, we have such an amazing guest today. I am Emily. I'm Jen. And today on the show, you have heard us talk before about the Middle Finger Project. We are obsessed with this book, The Middle Finger Project, Trash Your Imposter Syndrome and Live the Unfuckable Life You Deserve by Ash Amberjay. And she is here. Woo! I'm going to be honest with you. The minute you said, welcome to Shrink Chicks, I almost interjected and I was almost like, thank you. <laughs> welcome to. You are also welcome, Ash. You are also welcome to Shrink Chicks and all of the listeners. Great to be here, guys. Ash is joining us from Costa Rica. I am. I'm a psychopath. It's amazing, a right? Psychopath. <laughs> but but let's be honest, because everyone knows, like, Philly's the best. Philly's the best. Can you, you know, stand by it? Yes, we went through a, a maybe like two year process looking at different markets in the United States for where I wanted to buy my first piece of property because we do live here in Costa Rica half of the year. And then the other half, I wanted to be back home, but I, I, you know, I just, I wanted to make a good investment and I went up and down the East coast because obviously it was going to be East coast. Of course. And you know, I, I ended up back in Philly where I started and I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Philly is just the best. I can vouch. The greatest. Never leaving, never leaving Philly. So it's so exciting. And so, and you started in like middle of Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Right. Well, you know what? I was actually born in Roxborough, like near Maniunk. Yep. My family's originally from there. But when I turned five, my mom was like, I have a good idea. Let's move us to the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, and we did. And we did. And we lived in this tiny little apartment above my uncle Jimmy's barbershop because he moved north to like north of Scranton because he wanted to fish and hunt. And so we just had this little apartment and my mom was like, cool, now you can ride your bike on the streets and I don't got to worry about it. And that was that. 
And so I grew up, yes, north of Scranton. And when I finally finished school, I decided to start my big career back in the great city of Philadelphia. So I've been in Philly off and on since about 2006. Wow. Yo, I feel like there has never been a more Philadelphia phrase as I lived in the apartment above my Uncle Jimmy's barber shop. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Like, so you just true. added on, like, some water rice and maybe it's, like, getting, like, getting a hoagie. Like, that would have been pure Philadelphia. <laughs> well, he was definitely, like, a South Philly, you know, Italian gangster style. I mean, that high roller, that's what he did. So, it, it all made sense. Yes. Asha is just the best. We could talk to you all day, but really we have to talk about the middle finger project because this book is fucking amazing. Thanks, man. I mean, the name, the name, the name gets you. You're either in or out, like right at the title. (laughs) The reason, but the reason why we, we recommend this to clients so much. And part of the reason is we get so many questions about like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be changing careers? Um, people are constantly questioning themselves and it's a really scary thing to do um, to make that jump. And so you kind of talk about that whole process that you went through. But for anyone who hasn't read the book, can you give us like a synopsis of that process for you? Yeah, I mean, it, the book itself was designed for anybody who really kind of is hating what they're doing right now, but they don't know what else to do. And that's always the problem. It's like, I'm not happy either with my current job or my career as as a whole, but I don't know what else to do. And then they get really worried about, you know, having invested time already into a certain career, especially if you're a doctor or a lawyer, like those, those people have it the worst because they're like, oh my God, all that money, all that time. And so this book is really an argument to convince you that it is a much better idea to cut your losses now and go ahead and experiment your way through life. That's actually what life is supposed to be about. And it is, it's, it's better to lose those four years you invested in your career than to lose the next 40. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the part where you talk about how, cause like so many people think about, okay, if I try something and it doesn't work out, that means I'm a failure and there's something wrong with that. But you talk about how like it's so important to go through that process of like trying something and not finishing it um, to know that like it's something that doesn't work for you. Yeah, man. Did, do you remember the part in the book? I make the comparison to duck nards. Yes, uh, duck nards. Yes. <laughs> duck nards. Everyone does think that. They're like, gosh, if I try something new and then it doesn't work out, I'm a failure. But if you went to a restaurant and you tried the duck nards and turns out you don't actually like duck nards, are you going to sit there and blame that on yourself? No. Right. Right. It's the thing you you tried. Right. Here it is. Exactly. Page 81. I am not immune to the fact that quitting somehow feels shameful as if something is wrong with you rather than the things you tried. But that is like going to a restaurant and ordering the duck nards. Literally wrote this down. (laughs) This is literally one of the quotes picked out to talk about today. Oh, that's great. Well, it's true. I mean, you just get up and you go to another restaurant, baby. That is exactly what you do. Right. And you're like, I will never have those duck nards again. No, thank you. 
Yeah, right. those, shame to those duck nards. They did right. not right. flatter my palate. <laughs> and you know what? And I think because we we truly hear this constantly that there's this fear of like trying something because it means that you did something wrong if you try it and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And so it keeps so many people from attempting things and really um, figuring out what works. And you kind of have to. It's almost like when you're dating too, like you have to have to date a bunch of douchebags to figure out what you like and what you don't like, right? Like it's the only option. The process of elimination. Yeah. I always, I always try to live by this idea that we need more attempts and less actual success. We're all trying to be successful, but I think that success in general is really boring. It's really easy to be successful. All you do is sit down and you check a box every single day and you're like, like 50 years later, I finally got a sticker bill. Like that's success to me. It's not that hard. It lacks wit and imagination and any kind of originality. But I think that we need more attempts then at those kinds of things and less success. Less success is just so easy. Yeah. Doing it, doing it your own way and having fun while you're doing it. Maybe that's the objective. That is much more difficult, but much more rewarding. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, society's kind of idea of like what success is, is that like you're following this very specific mold, right? That like, you know what you want to do when you're in college and then you follow that career for the rest of time, right? That like, if that's the idea of success and you're not happy in what you're doing, then that's why this book is so powerful is that it allows you to challenge a lot of those ideas that we've been taught from like a very early age that like, you need to know what you're doing. You need to get a major in college. You need to go to college to begin with, right? You need to get a very specific major in college. And then you need to do that thing for the rest of time, Mm. which is limiting. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. 
A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is of course the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I use this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that Pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash chicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash chicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash chicks. Well, I love yeah. one of the things, Ash, you talk about is like the things that can keep this going is the, the dream zappers. Those fucking dream zappers, I swear. <laughs> I got a couple of problems in life, and one of them is the dream zappers. I really, I took it hard when I was a young girl trying for something more. I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know how to, how to go about it. I asked my mentors in life, uh, one of which, you know, worked in HR, so she was the wrong person to ask. But, you know, it, it became very clear. It was like, welcome to the real world, you know, that's what work is. It's not going to feel good. You know, you're just a stupid millennial. And I was like, oh yeah, millennial what? All these years later and I'm killing it. <laughs> it's true. Right. You're the perfect example. Right. So like when you talk about like these dream zappers, like these people in your world that are like these good, reasonable, trusted people, these are not horrible people, right? No. The people we think about make sense to go to for advice. Yeah. But they're always talking from their own experience, right? They're not really hearing you. I think that's true. And I think that there's also that element of, um, you know, the, the unconscious raising of the bar for other people when you decide that, you know, maybe the standard is not good enough for you right now at this juncture. When you say that to somebody else, then it makes them question, well, are you insulting me because it's good enough for me? Right. And so it feels a little bit like a personal attack in some ways, even if you don't mean it that way. That's mm -hmm. the struggle. Absolutely. They project their own maybe insecurities onto the conversation that it, like it brings up and you're doing something different. And as you've talked about, like doing something different is really hard for other people to accept. Yeah. And you know what? To be honest with you, when I left my small, small rural Pennsylvania town that I had then grown up in and went to the city and started having some traditional corporate success, and then some other things happened. I did expect to be greeted a little bit like, you know, a, a, a celebrity football player when I got back to my small town. I thought people were going to be like rooting me on, like, woo, represent. And, and the opposite happened. It was very much an, an environment of 
whispers and who does she think she is and resentment Mm -hmm. that made me devastated. I was heartbroken about that. And it is one of the things that I think a lot of us go through, especially with our own family and people that we, we love, but man, you know, it's like going to uh, your aunt Becky, who is a hairstylist and asking her for advice on, on accounting or how to change the oil in your car. If aunt Becky's never done it before, she's not qualified. Right. Absolutely. Well, it's like, you know, when I was um, thinking about becoming a therapist, my mom, who, as you've talked, you know, is well-intentioned, but said that, oh, you're not going to make money in that. You need to be in the business world. And so, of course, I listened because I questioned myself and said, that's probably what's right. Um, And then moved to New York, got a marketing job, and I was absolutely miserable. (laughs) miserable you had a cool title i'm sure it probably was very luxury brand like on i worked for a luxury brand consulting firm which sounded real cool it sounds real cool right now when you say it it. yeah right but i wanted to die it was horrendous (laughs) (laughs) i was so miserable i was like why am i doing these things that feel like very pointless to me Um, but the only way I would have gone back to grad school to become a therapist is if I did this thing that I was absolutely miserable in that pushed me towards realizing how miserable I was going to be and doing something that just wasn't right for me. And I think that so many people have that experience, but being able to question it, um, is really hard or like push back against it. Like I was lucky enough that I was, I was only in it for a year until I realized I could change it. Um, but I think a lot of people stay in these jobs that they feel very unfulfilled in, really unhappy in, um, because of these dream zappers or because of this idea of like what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. And, you, and Ash, you say perfectly in the book, you say, please know their criticism is not a sign that your idea is flawed. Oftentimes it's a sign that understanding is flawed. Yeah. That is amazing. Gosh, and you know, I had I had a similar experience. I still to this day think about it sometimes because I remember when I was still uh, in in high school, going into college, I wanted to study languages and I wanted to be an anthropologist. I was fascinated with other cultures and even subcultures within you know the United States, for example. I was just fascinated by other people and how they lived. And my mother said to me, you know, I don't know why you would ever do that because that's going to mean that for the rest of your life you're going to have to be traveling she said and what if you just want to settle down in one place you're going to have to live in big cities where they do research you're going to have to travel everywhere and i listened to her because i thought that age meant more wisdom mm-hmm. but i didn't listen to my own internal wisdom uh, and and i i didn't know that i actually did know myself very well even though i hadn't traveled yet I had the instinct to travel. And I wish to this day I had pursued that career instead of, you know, what I ended up doing. There's, yeah. still, there's still time. There yes. is still time. Listen, I tell you what. <laughs> there's still time for that. You're on your way. I mean, you're in Costa Rica. I know. I kind there's of do it informally every day. Yeah, it's true. So, so what was your, like, break, what was your aha moment, would you say, or your, like, breaking point where you're like, I need to change, I need to do something different? Uh, well, I mean, there, there were many micro breaking points, I think along the way, but the one that I can't recount in the book that I think is the most visceral, so to speak, was I, I was in ad sales. So after I had graduated college, 
I did everything right. And I moved up the, gosh, my first freaking company loved my work so much. I was so dedicated that they kept promoting me. And then they offered me an actual percentage of company profits because it was a small company in Exton. Wow. It, yep. I was killing it. I was going into all these fortune 100 and 500 companies and selling the shit out of our contracts. I was doing so well. And at the end of the day, I remember driving down Route 100 in Exton and wishing a truck would hit me because at least then I would be in the hospital and it would be a legitimate excuse to not go to work the next day. Yeah. How sick. But but it also speaks to something of how we get trapped in these things that aren't for us. It's the promotions. It's the money, right? We get so addicted to that external gratification and reinforcement, right? The more promotions, the more money. It's like, how could I ever leave this? It tricks us. Yes. And it's like, well, I have it really good. And then you have other people telling you, you have it really good and you should, uh, you know, be grateful for what you've got. <laughs> and, right, and that is toxic positivity. <laughs> and Ooh, good. That's and, a good, that's a good phrase. I dig good. that. Yeah. And it, you know what? It keeps you when everyone's like, you should be grateful. This is what you worked for. You should be happy. It keeps you from addressing or acknowledging like your real authentic feelings about how you actually feel about this job. Like the fact that you wanted a bus to hit you <laughs> so that you didn't have to go to work. I mean, might mean something. Yes. Yes. I mean, and that was, that was, well, that was, you know, that was a micro moment, even though it sounds like a very dramatic moment. It still took me several years mm-hmm. after that, because at first I thought, well, I'll just switch jobs in the same vein. So then I went on to a different company that was bigger and I worked in advertising sales and I was also very good at that. And my clients loved me. And then my bosses praised me because they loved me and they, they were making more money and that's wonderful and, and dandy. But I kept feeling like every single day my entire existence and purpose on earth was just to make some shithead a bunch of money. And then I just took home a small little fraction of it. And that was that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it took, it took me several years more. And then finally I went out to meet with a client in uh, near like Potts town Mm -hmm. North. Yeah. And we, we went to this tiny little bar and he turned out to be the grossest guy on the planet And it was then that I was just like, what am I doing with my life? Is this really what I'm spending my days doing? And there was no more denying that I needed yet another change. And so what do you do? What do you feel like, like when you made that decision, how long do you feel like it took you to like feel very secure in, in making that change? Mm, I still don't feel secure. No, and I'm 10 years now into working for myself and really having a, a really a really fulfilling and awesome career and as an entrepreneur who doesn't really have much to worry about and still that that feeling of of insecurity will always be there mm-hmm. but I don't mind it. It keeps me on my toes. I like it very much. We become mm-hmm. friends. You've like embraced it in a way. Uh, yeah, I mean, we need something to, to <laughs> like, poke and prod us, don't we? <laughs> well, well, really, because so many people get so attached to the idea of not leaving these really unfulfilling jobs because they're like, oh, I'm going to lose my benefits, right? Like, the, we get so attached to this consistent paycheck that's the same or knowing that our health insurance is paid for. And, right, those are all, like, privileged things, of course. But I think it's also part of, like, capitalism um, that we get stuck to. <laughs> Oh God, I would never trade my benefits as a free agent entrepreneur for 
a couple of standard company benefits that really just sum up to some more money. I would never trade one for the other nowadays. I can travel. I do travel. We spend part of the year in Europe, part of the year in Philly, and then part of the year here in Costa Rica. I have such a wide creative birth, if you will, to really put forth whatever I want in the world. And that part for me is so exciting to be able to say, okay, well, here's, here are my ideas and I'm going to turn these into money. It's such a fulfilling thing watching that all come together. And it gives you this sense of, of intrinsic motivation that I didn't have with a job before because now I have ownership over it. It's mine. It's something I feel very proud to be creating. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like all the work I'm doing is in vain. Absolutely. So, also, go ahead. I, I was say, no. Well, I was gonna say I let's talk like imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. That is what keeps so many of us from not making the jump. Yeah. Right. We hear this also, and we hear it from new therapists all the time. I'm an imposter in what I do, and I'm not that good, especially young women. Right. And you talk about this in an amazing way, Ash. Thanks. Yeah. You know, it really started to anger me when I was also talking to many clients around the world. And, and I saw so many smart women in particular who were brilliant at what they did. And they were so just connected and, and hot about whatever topic they were talking about. But when it came to putting that out there and charging money for it, in my experience, I think the money piece is what really causes the imposter syndrome. I think if you ask any one of those women for personal advice, they would happily give it to you and feel very helpful in doing so, but the minute you introduce the money factor, that's when women get clammy and they're like, oh my God, what is my value? And it it brings up so many questions and so many awful feelings that they shy away from because they don't want to have to look at somebody in the face and say, here's how much it costs. Mm -hmm. Right? Right? It's money. Money is is the weird missing piece of imposter syndrome. And that's why I do address it so much in the book. But over the years, I've learned that uh, money is a signal to other people that actually other people need from us Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if you don't give them that signal, then they don't value it the way that they should. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it it means a lot for the transaction. It means that they're going to show up when they have committed to show up. It, it does change the dynamic, but in a really helpful, positive way, mm-hmm. they're going to hear you so much more, especially for those young therapists. You charge money and you charge some damn good money because that person sitting on the, on the other side of you is going to take what you're saying more seriously. And that's just, it's, it's a gift. Charging Absolutely. money is important. Absolutely. Well, it's like if you value yourself, other people are going to value your work too, right? That like really knowing your value, you know, financially, emotionally, um, and being able to express that to someone else is, is important because then others will also see um, your value in that. Yeah. I've also found that we do a lot of the comparing, the comparison oh, yeah. to other people. And we assume that other people are better at this job than we are. And therefore we're not deserving of the job. And I, I think that's flawed because one of the things that has been so helpful to me to understand is that nobody knows what they are doing ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
True. Well, and and it's like because you t- you talked about how um, you know we, because we believe that like other people have done it that they've done it better, and it means we won't be able to do it in the same way. But like you are your own person, and so you create something that's new and something that comes from like who you are, and it doesn't mean one's better than the other. Um, like for example, like we were uh, when you know when you're learning to be a therapist, we personally learn from a lot of like old white men how to become therapists. And so the the craziest part is like, it is a field inundated with women, but all the big names are old white men and all the people still running programs are old white men. And And they would, yeah, and they would say things to us that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. And like, we were young, we were learning. And so you're like trying to take in all of this information and learn what's right, what's wrong. Um, But over time, we've started to allow ourselves to question some of the things that we learned in terms of how to be therapists and what's right and what's wrong. Um, And we started to, part of the reason why we built this podcast and we built our practice is that we started to realize that the more comfortable we are with being ourselves completely as therapists um, and not trying to be other people or other therapists or other white men, because that just will never happen, um, that the better work we do, the more connected we feel to our clients. Um, And that like Emily and I, for example, are very different people. And if we tried to be the same person, if we tried to do things in the exact same way, uh, we wouldn't feel as connected to our clients. We wouldn't be doing the best work. So like really figuring out who you are um, and how you're going to utilize your authentic self in your work in whatever you're doing is something you speak to that. It's not about like comparing yourself to someone else. It's about like being your own person and, and, and being that person to the best. Well, and what it goes down to is also, Ash, what you talk about is like that, like per, per, we've been taught that professional means impersonal. And that uh, like my mind. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. So true. Yeah. yeah, I think, especially with internet culture now, I, I mean, I'm living proof of this, but professional is not the goal. You know, smart is the goal smart and well thought out arguments are the goal, but you can present those in any way, you know, any way and shape and form that you want with more personality, with less, you know, with F-bombs, without, as long as the argument itself is actually smart and well thought out, people will respect that. And, yeah. and really that's, that's what it is. And it's a different beast than when you and I went to school and we were being taught by old white guys and, and, and really job opportunity came in the form of your resume and somebody else picking you because now is more than ever the time and age where it's all about picking yourself and figuring out as you're talking about Jen, like what's my, how can I make my greatest contribution, my personal greatest contribution to this body of work? What does that look like for me? And not trying to be the best at everything, but picking out that one thing and competing there and saying, you know what, I'm not really good in this area, this area, this area, or this area. But if you want the best in the world in this, I'm your girl. And knowing that's your strength and rock it, like ride that strength. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Becoming the best version of you pretty much. Yeah. One of the things that's helped me a lot in becoming an entrepreneur and taking on all sorts of different projects and things that I've never done before, but other people think I can do (laughs) is, is just making a commitment to help. And that is it. I'm not trying to be the best in the world at anything. All I'm trying to do is make an honest contribution that I think will be helpful 
to another party. And if you can just focus there, it removes a lot of that imposter syndrome because again, you're not trying to be Whitney Houston. Like you're just trying to sing one note. <laughs> like it's good. It's good. It's helpful to somebody else. Right. Well, and, and you talk so much about like, it's like you don't expect, when you do, you're new, right? At the beginning of something, right? You're not expected to be the best. And you talk about you, Icelandic, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. When you go to Iceland, you're not like embarrassed you're not Icelandic. You're like, oh, I'm like a person, I'm a guest in Iceland, right? And you're also not embarrassed to like try to speak the language, right? Like, and no one's judging you for that, right? That is like the shit that we put on ourselves. Right. And yes, yeah. it's self-protective, that imposter syndrome, but it can fuck us up. True. I think no one expects it, especially in a corporate setting or a career setting. But I think the cure to that is learning how to just let yourself be curious. Let yourself ask questions and not know the answers. And when other people see you doing that, they do see you as someone who's ambitious, who has the potential and the capability to do the work and figure it out, whether or not you know what you're doing yet or not. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it is so true. And I think that a lot of, you know, the, the fear for a lot of people is like judgment of others that like other people are going to find me out in some way, or like, they're going to figure out that I don't know how to do this, or I don't know how to sing like Whitney Houston, but I'm trying, right. That like, that's really the fear, but it's not about trying to be someone else. It's about trying to be yourself in the best way possible. Yeah. There, there's this other part about people feel like, um, entrepreneurship is, is only for people that have had privileged lives. I mean, Ash, you talk about in a lot of ways, like you weren't, you, you didn't have a trust fund. Oh my God. No, we barely right. had toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you know, like you're someone who came from this different situation. And then you also talked about like getting out of like some like verbal and physical abuse you were in, in your relationship, like entrepreneurship and following your dream and being passionate is not based on class right? It doesn't have to be based on privilege. And you are a great example of how that's done. Thank you. Thanks. Trailer Park represent after we were living with my uncle Jimmy in the apartment. And in the fifth grade, we moved to our first trailer. In the 10th grade, we moved to my second trailer. It was an upgraded version. It had a little bit newer siding on it. Um, <laughs> but I think also a lot of that comes from traditional entrepreneurship requiring a lot of cash flow and requiring someone to have enough money to put down on a lease, on inventory, on yes. refrigerators and freezers and cash registers and all of that stuff that is required in traditional entrepreneurship. But right now we're living in this unprecedented, unprecedented time where we can contribute that value and be helpful to other people in ways that are entirely remote uh, as you guys are doing every day of your lives, as most of us are, have learned how to do during a yeah. pandemic. This is not new. This has been going on. I mean, I've been doing it for 10 years now. And it's great because there isn't all of the overhead that you used to have. Yes. The traditional yes. businesses. You can offer services. You can create things. You can sell them on the internet and, um, and find a new way to be helpful to society in other ways besides renting a brick and mortar, you know, business in downtown. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we, when we first started our business, we started in a basement. <laughs> It was horrible. Yeah. As <laughs> like all a, good businesses do. Exactly. We started in a very small basement. There were those creepy crates. It was actually not even yes. for rent. It actually wasn't for rent. We went with a landlord to look at spaces and then we're like, we can't afford any of this. And he's like, I have this other, like, it used to be my old office. It was totally trash. And we're like, we'll take it. <laughs> yes. 
so, but that, and we were in, we were there for what, like three years Yeah, for three years. And so, you know, I think that the, you know, we tend to focus more so on like, this is my goal. I'm going to be in this huge office and this, and I'm going to go straight to that as opposed to, I'm going to build this up for myself. Like I have the ability to more so build this up. I can also, we were working part-time at different jobs when yeah. we started our private practice too, that like you can start to build that up for yourself. Um, and I think that sometimes the misconception is that like you have to jump to this dream and it has to be like exactly what you want immediately. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that's a great story. I mean, yeah. One of the principles I live by is uh, execute and iterate. So I'm a huge fan of just of getting it out there the basic bitch version of whatever it is that I'm doing and knowing, okay, th this is going to be good enough today and tomorrow I'm going to make it better. And then the next day I'm going to make it better and not waiting for it to be the best thing I've ever made before <laughs> I execute and before I show it to anybody else. And I think your story is the perfect example of that start in the basement on purpose. Yes. Yeah. Made that decision with the cave crickets and all. Cool. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of bugs. <laughs> Tell me about it being in Costa Rica. It is oh the God. one thing I would change about Costa Rica. The one thing are it's the bugs. terrifying because the bugs there, I feel like, are much bigger. Yeah. They are. They're the size of your fist. And the it's like just mutant, like mutant bugs. There is not a night that I don't get up to go to the bathroom and grab my phone and put my flashlight on and walk with it to the bathroom because I'm so terrified I'm going to step on one someday. <laughs> I never have, but if I do... <laughs> I need one of those spider vacuums. Emily got me one when I was in grad school because I had such like uh, I had such sure. a spiders. So I would get this like spider vacuum and just vacuum them all up. Wait, what's a spider vacuum? We're gonna get you one. <laughs> We're gonna get send you one. <laughs> just suck them up. You could just suck the bugs up and then you, you let them all fly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's yeah. how scared Jen was. I was so like, When scared. I wasn't around, she had to vacuum them up because I was her bug catcher. Well, I, I mean, I totally get that. Sometimes there are geckos that come through the air conditioner and they end up on the wall. And I'm like, nope, no, not today, Satan. Go right back in that air conditioner. We are not doing this. I'm not going to bed with you creeping around on the ceiling. Right, like that, that, that was always my fear. Like if I go to sleep and like, it's going to end up in my mouth somehow or That's like yeah. me in my sleep and then like, I can never sleep. So like, I feel you on that, but not yeah. without geckos, like in my apartment, that would be I, terrifying. I know. And I think we do. I think there are statistics that we won't discuss here that talk about how many bugs do crawl in your mouth. Oh God. I know. Do not fucking Google that. Yes. Don't Google it. <laughs> it will haunt you forever. <laughs> You know, what, on to me forever. My girlfriend recently told me that I never want to see what's inside of broccoli because she was like, listen, I put that in a bowl of vinegar and you should see all the little bugs that come out. I can't <gasps> eat broccoli ever again. No, ever. I just had broccoli last night. Wait, that's like, Jen, one time you got a thing of Brussels sprouts? Yes, you remember this. Yes. I cut it what? open and then a worm popped out and I, I like lost my mind. Oh no. Have I'm you ever made Brussels sprouts right since? <laughs> no, I never made Brussels sprouts since. And like I inspect Ew. all my vegetables now. <laughs> Ew, in a little Brussels sprout. No, it was adorable for the record. It was, it was a cute, it was like an inchworm, very cute inchworm. <laughs> but, and so I was like, that's how you know it's organic. And I'm like, I am never buying organic again. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I'm confused about this, the status of produce in Costa Rica because you would think it would be more organic but then yeah. sometimes you're like but maybe they have laws here that don't exist yet or we have laws in the states that don't exist here yet so maybe they're using crazy pesticides I have no I, idea 
which right. way it is, but right. apparently the broccoli is is infiltrated. So oh my god! So this is our this is our problem on the podcast is that we'll always go yeah. off on tangents, and then we're like, how did we even get here? <laughs> but, okay. Wait, Ash. No, but we have to do Ash. Are you? Do you, will you answer some questions from some listeners? Yeah, we chose. Totally oh, totally. Yes. If okay. I can, I'll give All it right, my well, best try. Did you know that billions of plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles end up in landfills every year? I used to contribute to that waste, constantly buying single-use plastic cleaning products without giving it much thought. But then I discovered Blueland, and it has been a game changer. Blueland has helped me eliminate the need for single-use plastic and the products I reach for the most. They are reinventing cleaning essentials. Their approach is simple yet revolutionary. Refillable cleaning products with a sleek design that not only looks great on your counter, but also reduces plastic waste significantly. What I love most is the convenience. With Blueland, I never worry about running out of cleaning supplies or lugging bulky bottles from the store. From hand soap to toilet bowl cleaner to laundry tablets that each smell incredible, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I was blown away when I received my first Blueland order. I immediately filled the bottles with water and their tablets, which was so easy to try everything out. And the ingredients are clean, the scents are refreshing, and the packaging is just so cute. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. If you're you're ready to make a positive change for the planet without sacrificing cleanliness or convenience, Blueland has you covered. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash shrinkchicks. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash shrinkchicks for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash shrinkchicks to get 15% off. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on the accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. You can always say, you could say pass or no, thank you, or fuck off. Whatever I'll just say want. hippopotamus to any questions. Hippopotamus. Perfect. Okay. Hippopotamus is how we'll know. All right. We got <laughs> so many questions for you. We picked out a few. Okay, wait. And Ash, so you have to know that the reason you came on our radar, the reason we became obsessed with Middle Finger Project, one, we had a listener email us say, you have got to hear this. This is the best book I've ever read. And then oh. you're going to die when you hear this story, ready? And she's going to die that we're telling this story. <laughs> Nikki, who is our manager, all things take care of, all things shrink chicks, and now with Westchester Therapy Group, she started out as a listener of the show, read your book, and was like, fuck, I'm so unhappy in my job. 
essentially stalked Jen and I until we responded to her. And like sent us three emails that yes. we did not respond because we were so busy. And then finally we got her in and we were like, oh my God, she's incredible. And now she works for us. <laughs> Get out of town, Nikki. I love you. I saw some of Nikki's emails when she was corresponding with Elizabeth on our end here. And I, yeah. that's, I didn't know that. Yes, you that go, Nikki. First hand, you changed her life. Yes. Oh, I love it. You Who's know what it? was bad? When we did, when we published the book, it also published in not just Penguin Random House US, but also the UK. Mm-hmm. And one of the, my editor emailed me one day and she was like, well, uh, your book isn't even out yet. And you should know that we're, we're down in editor. She literally quit her job today. Oh. <laughs> Went to go do something oh. else. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> You're like, this backfired. You know what? When we when we originally scheduled this podcast, this was before everything happened yeah. with COVID and quarantine. And but and so when we were like, okay, this is actually like such a good time to talk about this because so many people either lost their jobs, have more time to question whether they're in the right job or not, right? Because they're not just constantly avoiding the fact that they're miserable because they have to like face it more now um so it's actually such a good time to have this conversation and for people to read your book and that like helps them really question is this right for me how can I change this hell yeah I'm really glad I didn't I didn't happen to write a super tone deaf book that would have launched I mean this launched literally like days before the pandemic started I was like great spend five years working on something and then launch it now Ash good work good no, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> All right, whatever, rock and roll. Rock and okay, roll. some questions for you. Ready? Bring it. All right. First question: How to deal with a large age difference in the office, and how that can relate to imposter syndrome? Ooh, I definitely thought we were talking about relationships for a minute there. I'm like, I don't know about that. Hippopotamus. <laughs> Hippopotamus. No, know, I think I it's can... about being like a young woman in the office. Yeah, I can see how that would be really intimidating too, because you've got all of these superiors who think that they have the right ideas and their job is predicated on the fact that they have the right ideas. That's why they're getting paid more effectively and they have seniority and all of that experience. So the thing that I did that seemed to really win over folks who were in that position was um, I was the, I was just, I was the most curious motherfucker in the room. And I kept uh, not only asking questions, but I was proactive in my approach. So, for example, anything that needed to be done, I did not wait to get assigned the task. I didn't go to anybody and ask for permission to do the task. I went and attempted it myself and then submitted what I had come up with. And that started getting me respect around people because it it was kind of hard to deny that I was a creative writer. So I was doing lots of stuff in that vein that I was never asked to do. And you can't ignore me for very long, but all of a sudden I was helping those people who had bigger titles than me do their job. And I made them look good because then they took me on under their wing. And then I worked under them until I kind of eclipsed them. (laughs) Um, But that's how I, I, I was able to do it. Uh, and I do remember that caused tension with at least one person that comes to mind because there is that threat. You mm-hmm. are a threat to somebody's job. And a lot of older folks, I will say, more mature crowd is very, maybe rightfully so, threatened that they're, um, they're not 
as useful in the marketplace anymore. Mm. I even feel that way sometimes. I'm 35 years old and I'm no longer like the cool young millennial. Now there's other ones with other ideas and they know stuff that I don't about like TikTok. Yes. Yeah. Uh. Like there's technology. Emily sent me this like TikTok actually <laughs> yesterday that was giving us all these like iPhone tricks. And I was like, oh my God. Like they know everything. <laughs> like they know everything. It's unbelievable. I thought I was like really good at technology and like apparently not. Nothing yes. compared to Gen Z, man. Right, Gen Z. Yes. So if I was that person, Gen Z, and I'm looking to come up to my level and and do something where I'm at, I'm not going to make me, Ash, feel bad about it. I'm going to slide in and I'm going to try to help Ash as much as possible and make Ash look like a superstar because Ash is then going to love this person and be like, oh my God, you're making me look good. That worked for me left and right all day, every day. That is great. That is so helpful. So, right. So what you're saying is like, you know, don't like use your strengths that you have, right? Like, like basically what that imposter syndrome is, is like, it's, it's internal anxiety. It's telling you to hush. You talk about it in terms of the mean girl at the party, right? We hate her. Yeah, we do hate that bitch. We hate that bitch, right? And you have a choice, which is to let her take over or to say, fuck that, I'm going to dance better at the party. I'm going to party and I'm going to like stay on my path and like stay straight and keep my shit going. I'm going to dance better at the party. I, I like that one. Party. What party are you going to? <laughs> Whatever she's mean to me at, I think. This totally goes back to something that we were just talking about. You know, Em and Jen, before we got live on the podcast, I was telling them that I published my book in February and just now it's May. Penguin Random House editors came to me with a project and they are asking me if there is any universe that I would consider now ghostwriting someone else's book that is actually a very high profile book. The first book sold millions and millions of copies and here they are coming to me. Now I could have had imposter syndrome all over that because let's face it, I am not a book editor. I'm not, I have not written 10 books. I've only written one. And yet they said to me, we need Ash specifically. We need you specifically because you are the queen at taking something that feels a little trite and turning that around to have these really sound bitey moments and make it feel fresh and original. So that's my superpower. So I mm. leaned into that knowing that, okay, and I was very honest with them. Here's where I think I'll get stuck. Here's where I'm going to need your help, but here's where I'm totally going to blow it out of the water. I made them a proposal. Here's what I think we should do. Here's how we should do it. Here's how much I'm going to charge you. Let's go. Wow. And, you know, I woke up this morning. I'm waiting for some more correspondence with that. And there always is that sense where it's like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? (laughs) (laughs) Right? But I keep going back to just being as helpful as I can. These guys need help. And here's how I can be helpful. Um, But Mm -hmm. it would have easily been me to say, like, well, I'm not an editor. I, I, you know, I don't know how to write all sorts of different books, but you, you just got to lean into your strengths and just trust it. Other people yeah. are trusting that you trust it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you know, the fact that you were able to be like, this is where I'm going to get stuck. This is where I'm going to do really well. Like it just speaks to how, how much you know yourself and how comfortable you are speaking to like, it's okay to have challenges and struggle with something that like, that's part of being human. And it means you can still be amazing at something and say, this is something that's hard for me. And this is something I struggle with. Um, it just speaks to how well you know yourself and your ability to communicate that. Hmm. Thanks. Some of it does come with practice, right? And doing the work over and over again. So, you know, I mean, it takes me a really long time to write stuff. I know that about myself. I time myself. It takes me forever. <laughs> it's like I'm 90 years old. Um, <laughs> 
but what comes out on the other end is usually pretty good. So just knowing those things and figuring out strengths, weaknesses. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. Well, well, that's perfect. Cause that leads into another amazing question we got is how can you go about finding your own style and originality? Mm. This is a hard one because of the echo chamber of the internet. I'm going to say it right yes. now. Every single thing you read is influencing what you think and the way you speak and the way you then put a sentence on the page. So for me, I have to shut it off and it sucks sometimes, but I have to unsubscribe from newsletters that I would really like to read that are maybe in my industry or anyone else um, who I think, especially if I don't really respect their writing style, mm -hmm. I have to shut that off because I don't want it to rub off on me. And I have to actually go and sit quietly with a notebook. And that's where I can put my voice on the page. I can't do it on the screen unless I'm writing like a huge book or something. But typically I start outlining on a notebook because I feel like I'm alone with my ideas as opposed to being in this echo chamber. It's really, really hard. Um, and then for me, it becomes a process of just mixing and matching what's, you know, what's already out there. What's the dialogue that's being said and what do I actually think about it? I don't think that many of us know what we actually think about a lot of stuff. And so for me, it's a process of sitting down and questioning myself, almost an interrogation. Mm -hmm. What do I actually believe about that? Do I really mm -hmm. think that's true? And if not, why? And asking myself those questions. And that's really where my ideas come from all of the time. Wow. Like being curious with yourself, kind of like how you would say, like when you were in you know sales that you would just be like very curious with other people like asking a lot of questions that you were like being an anthropologist there so like being an anthropologist with yourself in a way yeah i think otherwise it's always the default thing i do a lot of teaching of creative writing and a lot of the trouble is just the first thing you put on the page is always the thing you hear the most it's the cliche it's the the obvious sentence it's just it just kind of happens on autopilot because our brains are trying to be as efficient as possible that means when we sit down to write it wants to take the shortcut it wants to put the summary word there it doesn't want to take its time and write out something very long and creative and fun it just wants to be fast and readers do the same thing when they're reading your stuff their brain is trying to take a shortcut and, and decide you know mm -hmm. in Point two seconds, have I already heard this? Do I already know this? Do I need to read this? And if you use cliched language, then the brain assumes that it does because it's heard this before and it stops paying attention. So it is a problem. Uh, getting out of the internet is the solution. <laughs> Such a challenge for people right now. Yeah. But it does. I mean, that makes a ton of sense to me, right? It's really easy for Jen and I to get caught up in like, there's just like so many therapists with Instagrams and like all this stuff. It's hard to not get caught up in that. And then also to have that comparison, like you do have to try to put blinders on a little bit. Yeah. We, what feels right for us. Totally. We respect and look up to people who have the courage to say what they think in a way that is intelligently thought out even if we don't agree with it. And I think that the first step in doing that is figuring out what you actually think about something. And it's really hard when you're listening to what everyone else thinks about a thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's all we do all the time. We're inundated with it. Yeah. Unfollow those folks for a little while and see what happens to your own ideas. It's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, mm -hmm. final question. I, there's so many. I feel so bad. So, so many. Many. I know. I'm like trying to pick. The reason why <laughs> we're talking, 
we're trying to pick the best. <laughs> There's so yeah. many questions. I'm sorry. I'm the long-winded, you know, Lucy over here. No, <laughs> no, we could literally talk to you forever. 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 Just <laughs> wait till I'm back in Philly. You guys are screwed. Oh, oh no. Oh, we're great. We're going out. We're going yeah. out. We you don't have a choice. You're hanging out with us. Not a choice. Cannot wait. Literally. Um, so our final question, how do you set expectations when looking for a new job and dealing with rejection? Hmm. I don't know. Hippopotamus, because I haven't looked for a new job in a very mm-hmm. long time. I don't know that that's my wheelhouse. Right. What about dealing with rejection? I mean, that's a, that's a really scary thing, right? It must be something you have experienced of like, when you put yourself out there, put yourself up for a new opportunity. Like, how do you handle like some of that fear? I'm trying to think of a great time when I was rejected and when, you know, what I thought about it. I will say the process of writing this book was full of rejection in the beginning because I was working with my literary agency, but they had a very specific idea of what they wanted it to look like. And I fell into the trap in the beginning of thinking, well, they're the experts and I'll just do what they say. And Mm -hmm. so I would send in my pages and they would come back with notes and then I would send them in and they're like, okay, yeah, now more notes. And I would send it in. And this probably happened. I think I did something along the lines of like 15 different rewrites of our sample chapters before it made sense, before I realized that I needed to just write it the way that I was going to write it. Mm-hmm. And so I got rejected quite a bit and it took all of that rejection and it took that frustration to find the courage in me to just write the book and say, here's what I want to say, as opposed to here's, you know, what these people think I should say and how I should say it. So for me, rejection was useful, even though it was a son of a bitch. I really was. It was useful because it helps me to kind of whittle down my true feelings about something. And maybe the thing that you're getting rejected on, you find you didn't even want anyway. Right. Right. (laughs) Oh, great point. Really Amazing. Yeah. Ash. Thank you for doing this. We know that you are so freaking busy. This is an honor, literally an honor and a privilege for everyone. The Middle Finger Project, trash your imposter syndrome and live the unfuckable life you deserve. You have to go out and get this book. Probably listen to it because she's so fucking funny, but also recommend buying it because you're going to need to highlight. You should see our Nikki, freaking who manages trick checks, her copy of The Middle Finger Project is <laughs> highlighted with like 58 sections of post-it notes you want to read this book this book will help you ah! i recommend ash but also ash i'm on your email list your email list is so fucking funny and is so great and you do like you have like recently had like an emergency money workshop and some other really great things so people should join your email list don't you think yeah i think instagram thinks she's cute but the magic really goes down on the email list yes. old school yes so totally how, how you can, can have way more in-depth conversations yes please do go to the middlefingerproject.org and subscribe it would be lovely to have you there <laughs> amazing ash Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Love from Chicks, everyone, the Middle Finger Project. Woo, Take care. Thanks for listening, guys.
Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're gonna uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. Warning though, there will be no surface level conversations here. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image after trying to check all those be healthy boxes, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. I truly believe how you feel on the inside reflects out into every aspect of your life. So if you're ready to go below skin deep to tap into a whole other level of wellness, you're in the right place. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks.